everyone, and welcome to the all-new Forever Blue Shirts Radio Podcast, powered by ForeverBlueShirts.com. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Forever Blue Shirts Radio Podcast. And in today's episode, appropriately joining me, Steve Cornianus of TheDraftAnalyst.com, and you can also find his work on the Sporting News. Steve, how you be today, sir? Recovering. Recovering from a pretty, uh, pretty crazy night and a uh, pretty busy week. Uh, and just trying to soak it all in. The analysis has been done. I guess that's why we're here. So I'm, I'm here for everybody. You got questions, I got answers. Well, that, that's what people want to hear. That's what people want to hear. Uh, we're, by the way, folks, Steve and I are both, you know, inner city New York kids. You can hear like the, the Queens Brooklyn accent coming out in the Long Island a little bit. We've, we've been around. So, you know, if you hear that, yeah, yeah, gray in the beard. yeah, I got a little gray in the beard. You're hearing it perfectly. We probably were hanging out at some of the same clubs. Who knows? All kinds. Um, (laughs) (laughs) basically um all right so let's talk about the rangers winning the number one pick in the draft uh let's let's start it off with a little bit of humor i don't know if you've seen the slow motion video of the ball coming up no i haven't okay no i want you to i want you to understand in a what if reality what it would be like to be a Ranger fan today. At one point in the slow motion, you see the balls all clanging around. Then the yeah. Ranger ball goes up like it's like, like being called from God. <laughs> the ball goes up, but does not go in the tube, shoots out and goes up in the air. Then the Toronto ball, just like John Tavares, comes up and hits the post. Comes oh, right that down. is amazing. The Ranger I, ball drops and sucks right back up. That is amazing. I have not seen that. That is freaking amazing. Could, could you imagine what it, that, that video exists? So Toronto fans are probably vomiting seeing that ball go two times before it drops back down and the Ranger ball coming back up. Had it gone up, and we would have seen all ball go up first, and then for some reason miraculously just shoot oh. out. We would have Listen, died. It's like it's like the Nathan Lafayette hitting the post in '94. You know <laughs> where you're like, you see, it's all in slow motion. You see the Canucks tying the game, but they really don't tie the nope, game. No, nope, no, nope, no zoop for you. <laughs> you know, I was so fixated on the freaking guy with the remote control. I've been making a joke about this guy for the last four years. How. He's always like sweaty and that he has this big, huge remote control, like the one from the old remote control cars from back in the what day. Like, the big, like, like, the, doesn't he have, like seriously, <laughs> key fob. Yeah, but he's like, he's staring at the thing. And I'm like, what if this guy was like an ex like CIA sniper? He has like, you know, 20, 29 vision. And he's able to, you know, and Batman's like, make Dude, sure you cut the range. The hashtag <laughs> rigged was trending on Twitter. People were saying the ball was either cold that's why he dropped it it was weighted that's why he dropped it not the fact that the poor guy's probably a nervous wreck and forgot that you know they got to go through the spiel and then Bettman has to look at the logo and say yes that's the rangers logo that was hysterical right i was like oh my god a little overly official guys i guess we're filling time the poor guy dropped it early and picked it back up so there's conspiracy theory to that but to your point 
People were saying that he's staring at the ball and he literally presses the button when he thinks he sees the Ranger ball come up. Well, the Leafs one. Well, it could have been like the Leafs one. Maybe like he was an operative from Toronto. Conspiracy theories would have been abound. Yeah. Anyway, it's over. Yeah. We won the lottery, Ranger fans. Right. And it's a it's a good time. It really is one of the one of the most amazing times to be a fan. I, honestly, uh, I've been a Ranger fan since probably the 80s. You know, I, I'm a, I, I know the history of the team. Uh, I know that they were they were a great team in the 70s that just couldn't get over the hump. Uh, you know, they they were actually had a nice start as a franchise winning three Stanley Cups pretty early in, in their uh, existence. Uh but I can't really look at a time where I'm like going, they've got a number one center. They've got another future franchise goalie. Last year, they picked Capo Caco, who looks like he's going to be tremendous. They signed Artemi Panarin. They got Jacob Truba. D'Angelo has emerged into an offensive force. Adam Fox really maneuvered himself to get in New York. And I don't care what anyone else says. The kid knew that if he got to a certain point, he could sign with whoever he wanted. It. You know, he went the Kevin Hayes route, if you want to talk about it that way. But now they've got this kid. And yes, he's a left wing. Yes, the Rangers have Panarin and Kreider. Uh, but I don't care. I don't want to hear about Quentin Byfield. I know he's a tremendous talent. But I just think this kid, just seeing what I've seen, and I'm not an expert like yourself, I've seen highlight videos and what this kid can do on, his, on skates and his vision. I, I, his skating to me separates him. But let please let people know what are the, like the top three things that makes this guy the number one pick overall in this draft, unless you disagree with me. No, 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 no. He is. He should be. He has been wire to wire. He was a consensus guy. A season ago, remember, this is a kid that he was a top player at the Ivan Holinka in 2018, August. He was the CHL player of the year in his draft minus one season, also the 2018-19 season. He was the top player for Ramuski. He was the reason why they became a contending team in the Quebec League. So even heading into this year, we knew that he was a special talent. Yeah, we talked about Byfield and we talked about Lucas Raymond and Alexander Holtz from Sweden. And so we knew that there was a cluster, but this was Lafreniere's draft. We all knew it. It was just a matter of living up to the expectations. And the kid did. I mean, he, there wasn't one moment this season where anyone, including myself, had doubts as to whether or not this kid was going to be the first overall pick. He went to the World Junior Summer sh- uh, Showcase in, in Plymouth. I was there. I sat next to John Davidson and... Uh, Jeff Gordon, they were all there. They didn't talk to me. I didn't talk to them. But I still sat next to them. <laughs> but you knew who they were. We're watching that the Canada put this kid on the top line with Kirby Doc and I believe Joe Valeno. And he, he hops over the boards and he just explodes. He explodes everywhere he goes. And so now that I had a chance to see him live, I'm like, well, let me go back and start really looking at the film. And of course, the Quebec League season had just started. And the the thing that you notice most about him, listen, every top 10 kid or top five kid, especially if they're coming out of major junior, they know how to score. They could stick handle, they could shoot, they could pass, they they could all do it. You're not a top five talent as a forward if you can't do that. What separates this kid, and I've seen them all, all I've seen Hughes, I've seen Deline, Sveshnikov, all of them. What separates Lafreniere from that group? is his effort. He just, he, he explodes over the boards. I don't know how else I could put it. And when he's on the ice, he's a hunter. He goes after people. He, he just is. And Sidney Crosby was the same way. When Crosby was playing in Ramuski 
which is also this team that Lafreniere plays for, you know, right. 15 years ago. Crosby is a tireless worker. He, he's not lazy. He doesn't uh, rely on other people to do the work for him. So as right off the bat, I would say that it's Lafreniere's compete level. But then you watch him more and you see his physicality. I mean, he's plastering dudes and he's a force. He's a menace. Now, granted, the, the size in the Quebec League nowadays is nowhere near what it was, let's say, in the dead puck era, let's say the mid, mid to late 90s, early 2000s. Still, though, these kids, they can't match up against him. And then the third thing is the, the level of violence in his play. I, I would say he's a borderline dirty play. He's a lot like Pierre-Luc Dubois was when he was playing uh, in the Quebec League a couple of years ago. And that he, his elbow is high. He'll, he'll hit guys from behind. So maybe it's a, a talking point for the Rangers. Hey, kid, tone it down. But you and I, we go back to the Mark Messier days. When Messier arrived... He changed the, the culture of that locker room. Yep. One thing I'll never forget, and Ranger fans can Google this, Mark Messier elbowed Mike Medano. You remember that? Oh, he that was elbowed vicious. Mike Medano, and that's when the gurney fell. That was, had, yeah, that but, was but, as but dirty as it got. Messier, what Messier used to do is he would mark the top player of another team and he would elbow them or spear them in the beginning to basically like, hey, listen, like I'm here and you got a tough road ahead of you. Well, Lafreniere, he usually does obviously different game nowadays, but he lets his stick work do most of the talking as his puck skills. But you can't cross him, and he sticks up for his teammates. He's just a complete player. There's no other way to say it. Um, I don't see any weaknesses, any red flags outside of the, the discipline stuff, because, of course, he could work on. But this is a player the Rangers have not had in a very long time, a guy that could score – has the potential to score 75, 80 points a season, but also be effective off the puck. We just saw in the, in the playoffs, Panarin, we love Panarin. You know, he's a hard caliber player, mm-hmm. ineffective off the puck. We just saw Zabanajed, ineffective to a, to a degree off the puck. These are skill guys. Lafreniere is a skill guy, but he's also effective off the puck. He, he makes his presence felt. He's not going to be a selkie winner. He's not going to be like a stopper in the defensive zone because he's always mm-hmm. thinking, go, go, go. But he is going to, and you're going to see, I, I tweeted this out last night, that he's going to make the current Rangers want to be better players. He's going to make Capo and uh, Capo Caco and Kravtsov want to compete harder. It's just he's has an affectuous uh, style, that, a leadership style that he, you know, he leads by example, but he also, now he's not like a really a rah-rah type, uh, like a Messier where he's going to go in the locker room and threaten people. <laughs> but, that's true but, but you could just tell his enthusiasm he's a team first guy he sticks up for his teammates after whistles will get involved in scrums I, mean, I love this kid I think that uh, it's 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 a home run not just for the league and the Rangers but really for the for the kid himself because he's going to go to a big market and really they'll be able to promote what he can do uh okay that those are some really great points so just hearing everything you said um based off of you know, everyone has now seen, and, and there was a lot of hype, and we know there was a lot of hype surrounding Jack Hughes. <clears throat> and in truth, Jack Hughes has been talked about probably longer than I could think of as a prospect than, than this kid. You know, I, I've heard of, of Lafreniere, but Jack Hughes was a name I was hearing for quite a few years. Cool. With that being said, you know, and Capococco came onto the scene. I think that international, you know, his international play when he was playing in the tournament, he opened up so many eyes. People were like, holy crap, this kid is as good as, as it might be better. And it was actually contemplation, should he be the first overall? Yeah, it was legit. Absolutely. Right. I don't know if I'm hearing that when it comes to Lafreniere, right? But 
with those three names that I just mentioned, if the draft was, if these three guys were now available in the draft to you, who would you take? Lafreniere, without a doubt. I don't even bat an eye. And I'm not just saying that because we're Ranger fans. I, I, I've said it on my podcast. I've said it uh, on radio appearances that, that I create draft resumes. The minute that I, I get my, uh, my uh, you know, I lock in on a guy, I, I create a draft resume. And it literally is just a resume. I, I write down everything that he's done, where he placed on team scoring, how he was utilized, what tournaments he played in how effective and successful was he was from a statistical standpoint at those tournaments, blah, blah, blah. From a pre-draft standpoint, and I said this way back in August, that Lafreniere was definitely the most decorated of the three. Like you said, Kappa was a little bit late on the scene. He was a potential top five pick. It wasn't until what he did, uh, I would say like November, October, October, November of last year, where people were like, I don't know, this guy Kappa is pretty good. Uh, Kako is pretty good, whereas Hughes had a very impressive draft resume, and we saw Hughes play against older competition. But the fact that Lafreniere was able to, like I said, dominate the Holinka in his draft minus one, be the CHL player of the year, the fact that he joined Crosby's, the only two plays to win it twice before getting drafted, these are outstanding accomplishments. And then, listen, I'm not a World Juniors guy. I'll never use the World Juniors as a barometer to, to assess a player's upside or potential. But you got to admit that when Jack Hughes was at the World Juniors, eh, he was all right. When Capo Caco was at the World Juniors, eh, he was all right. When Lafreniere was at the World Juniors, he was the best freaking player in the tournament. Okay, so that right there is all you need to know if you don't have enough time to go back and watch all the film and watch his games in the Quebec League. Uh, I, I think that with the size, there's no question. There's really no questions about him. With Hughes, we had the... The size concern with Kako, we had the, I guess, the uh, the durability and the endurance uh, issues with Lafreniere. There's none of that. There's no red flag. I mean, there's really, there's really none. That's amazing. All right. So <clears throat> you've seen him. You've watched more video than I have. Would you qualify him as a shoot first guy or a pass first guy? Pass first guy. He's, well, here's the thing. He, he finds a way to marry it uh, pretty effectively. I'll give you an example. Let's say he's a, he, he controls the puck in the half wall on, uh, on the power play, but he also could play the point. So he, he's always kind of – he's a rover. He's, he's all over the ice. Um, when he gets the puck in the circle and he's fixated on the goal or he's fixated on a teammate, the goalies in the defense have to you – know, they have to – he keeps them honest. They have to entertain the idea that he's going to let one rip from the top of that circle. And I'm speaking specifically from the power play now, and he has an elite shot. And he scores with his wrist shot with regularity. But at the same time, he makes these rapid moves, these gear shifting uh, moves. It's really focused more on his agility and his first step quickness where, you know, defensemen on the power play or the penalty kill, what do they usually do? They, they fish around, they fish and they poke check. They don't want to leave their slot because that's the danger area. Well, what Lafreniere does is he, he draws them away from the slot. And if they overcommit or he sees them lunging, he'll just take one or two steps and explode right to the goal. Now, once he's exploding to the goal, he could do a whole bunch of stuff. He could roof it in tight. He can make a move and go on the backhand. But his playmaking and his vision is impeccable. It's outstanding. He'll thread the needle through traffic. He'll do it on the backhand. He'll saucer it. He'll bank it. I mean, really, he's a complete player. But you have to respect his shot. You have to respect his goal scoring. Uh, similar to Panarin, really, if you think about it, uh, where when they have the puck on the forehand and they're facing the goal from one of the circles, uh, you re there's really no telling what they can do. And that's what creates massive problems for the other team. Okay. 
did he actually, I, if I recall, and maybe you have to refresh my memory, I should have looked this up before we started his podcast, but didn't he have an injury? He, he got hurt? injured. Well, he, he's had like little minor injuries here and there. He had a, a the, the, I guess you want to call it a, a knee injury or a minor sprain right. at the World Juniors. The one where he fell on the ice and looked like he was crying it was pretty, pretty embarrassing, but funny at the same time. Uh, and he, he, and we all held our breath, you know, I, at that point I had no idea he was going to the Rangers. I'm just a fan of his game overall. And I was like, ah, oh, that sucks, man. This kid is like at the world, uh, you know, at his feet and he, he just blew out his knee, but luckily he bounced back in that tournament and he, he did well. So I, I wouldn't say his style. Yeah. Maybe you got to worry about, uh, issues where he's going to be hurt uh, because of just his rough and tumble style, but he's not. He's not a loose cannon, you know. He's not freaking Sean Avery, uh, where he's just like launching himself into people. He's he's very calculated about whom he hits, uh, specifically on the forecheck. There are times where he'll go in on the forecheck, and the defenseman knows he's about to get popped, and he won't pop him. He'll just turn quickly and head up ice. And there are other times mm-hmm. he just plashes the dude into the board. So uh, definitely, you know, not. I, I wouldn't say it's it's just like a lot of kids is you just have to tone it down a little bit and focus more on the finesse aspect. So you, you could stay healthy. Listen, the bottom line, if that kid is offensively talented and he's good, just like any other star in this league, they get away with more than anybody else. Yeah. You know, I, I saw, I saw what Brendan Lemieux got suspended for. I, I really thought that like, I didn't see the intent that did it was away from the puck. He got suspended for two games. You know, I think that hurt the Rangers because uh, when Lemieux did play in game three, at least for the first two periods where it looked like they had a shot, he was, he was full of energy. He was all over the place. He was making life difficult for, for the Carolina hurricanes. Um, so I, I honestly think that, him being out for the first two games did hurt. I don't know if it would have made any difference. And now hindsight being what it is, I'm pretty happy that the way things turned out, obviously. Um, but like, like you said, he, he, I have no problem with a player raising his stick when a guy's about to slant, like honestly make somebody think twice. And that's what Messier was great at. You know, Messi as, as you know, later on in his career too, I clearly remember a series with the devils and Doug Gilmore, and Doug Gilmore was a star in his own right. And Doug Gilmore wasn't clean. Doug Gilmore played it as dirty as Messier did. I remember that. And they were both great. And I remember Gilmore was going to run him. And Messier was like, go ahead, call me. He literally he cross-checked him in the face. In the face. That was game two. It was in New Jersey. The Rangers had a one nothing lead. Or it might have been scores at the time, and that that set the tone. The Devils were favored. That was a series where, where Rick is, Rick just stood on his head. Yep. But the Devils were favored that series, and that and that's what Lafreniere can do. That's what you can you get from a player who's physical. We all love the f- finesse type. Sometimes you know you, you can't be a, a masher, and I know that a lot of analytics types are trying to say that the league needs to turn away from this. And to a, to a degree, I, I I could see that. However, with with a kid like this where, you know, effort is such a big deal. It's a big deal to David Quinn. You know, the Rangers as a, as a group, laziness is not going to be tolerated. You can't float. You can't avoid a check uh, or, uh, um, you know, not engage in a puck battle to support your teammates. If you do, you're going to get called out and benched. We've seen a profound change in Pavel Bushnevich's uh, development where he yes. used to be this, this floater and on the periphery and you never knew what kind of effort you'd get from him. And clearly Quinn's methods – uh, have have helped him become a more well-rounded player off the puck. So the dirty stuff, yeah, I think it has a place in the game. It still does. I'm not saying paralyze a guy, but uh, the stick. Listen, if you wa- really watch games, if you watch 
activities away from the puck. These young defensemen, as young as 16, 17, they, they hit. They, they will not let you take over that low slot. They will cross-check you, and they will spear you and, and do whatever they can. And the refs, for the most part, let it go. So the idea that the game is totally cleaned up is, is, is nonsense. Right. Uh, so it, it, but still, it's a star play. You don't want to have him uh, in the box too much, and you don't want him to develop a reputation as a dirty player. So, uh, because then he becomes a target himself. Look at Crosby. He's chopping dude's fingers off, you know, hitting him uh, in the nether regions. And, uh, you know, I, I think he finally grew up a little bit and became a better player. And the Penn started winning because of it. Right. Uh, so, uh, we'll have to wait and see. But uh, I, I really like the fact that he brings this intense competitiveness to every shift. Almost every shift. Okay, sometimes you can't do it every shift. You're going to wear yourself out. But, cool. uh, I mean, we haven't had a player like this in a long time, at least from a prospect standpoint. Yeah, I know. It's, it's pretty exciting. I mean, first time they're picking first overall since 1965 too. So, uh, you know, the nonsense of, oh, they might trade the pick is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm wondering where that, is it coming from Ranger fans? Is it coming from? Everyone speculates. And you know what? It's fine. I mean, hey, listen, at foreverblueshirts.com and at the dailygoalhorn.com, I don't mind writing about rumors because guess what? People love them. Uh, yeah. So I have no problem. I mean, it makes, it makes for a interesting conversation around the water cooler. Uh, and some, listen, some rumors are extremely legit. I do believe that the Rangers are going to be looking to improve their, their center position. You yeah. know, I like, I like Ryan Strome, but if they can be an upgrade at the number two, you know, number two center spot, I'm all for it. So I, I let's see what they do. They have a lot of questions, um, you know, to, to figure out and centers is one of them for sure. I mean, I Heedle, the experiment with Heedle is, is he really a center? Like I know it's very young in his career, uh, but you know, he landed on back on the wing in the series against Carolina. They started him at center. He wound up as a wing. It, it, you know, I like Howden, but Howden to me is no better than a fourth line center. That's my, that's my projection for him. Maybe I'm wrong. Thoughts. I mean, the thing is about this, the center depth right now is, when, when, you, when you're drafting long-term-wise, listen, they have Carl Hendrickson uh, down on the farm. They also have a, a first-round pick, extra first-round pick this year, which they could uh, use to address that. I do agree with you. I think that if the Rangers do want to take that next step and become uh, a playoff-caliber team, because they were not a playoff-caliber team this year, I don't care what the standings said, they were still kind of a little bit of a rebuild. Borderline. Yeah, borderline bubble team, whatever you want to call them. Uh, and considering how competitive the Metro is, where you got Carolina, Columbus, Washington, uh, Pittsburgh, Philly now, mm-hmm. and it's a tough, it's tough. Islanders, it's a t- tough hurdles right there. Uh, moving forward, though, the center ice position is going to be very critical. Yeah, Brett Howden was, I want to say he's just a throw in, but he, he could be an effective, I think, bottom six center. Uh, he's still young. He's what, he's 22 years old. So he's yeah, got they're some- all kids, really. Yeah, it's a lot to learn. Uh, you got to give him a chance to, to take this playoff experience. And build on it uh, doesn't always work, as we see with the Maple Leafs. But uh, overall, I think that the center ice position, the one thing about this draft, though, is that it's not very deep at center. Last year's draft was, and I think that if they didn't draft Capo, uh, I keep calling him Capo, if they, if they didn't draft Caco, I think they would have picked chosen one of those American centers, uh, not named Hughes. Uh, so we'll have to wait and see. I think that's why people uh, have, it's like a knee-jerk reaction well, oh, they won the number one pick. Well, we need a center, so let's just let's trade down and get the center. Like you can't do that. You can't. People are talking about trading the number one pick for, to Ottawa for the three and the five, thinking they might get Byfield at three. I, I, I honestly, it's just it's 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 funny. And then 
I, I don't want to call out the reporter, but somebody asked the reporter from, <laughs> I don't even want to call the city out. <laughs> asked him, would you do you think the Toronto and it's not Toronto, so let's just end it there. Yeah, do you yeah, think yeah. the Toronto Maple Leafs will 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 trade Austin Matthews <laughs> for picking the draft? You know him being an American and all, and and then the response wasn't even like that is the stupidest thing ever. The response was, "What about Jack Eichel?" I'm like going, "No, just stop." The Rangers. It, first off, the cap is flat at eighty one point five million dollars. The next two flat, seasons won't go probably. What, 83 in year three? Maybe. I don't even know. Why are you going to trade away a cost control phenom, all right, who's going to make max 950 or whatever it is for the next three seasons for a $10 million contract when you've got RFAs to sign? I'm like, where's the magic money coming from? In the Shattenkirk buyout, poison pill, and uh, you still have the Lundquist install and Smith on the contract. I mean, no, nah, right now, the, the, the smart thing to do is you have to make believe like it's January, right? And you say to Jeff Gordon, hey, are you going to, what would you do if you had the first overall pick? And you say, I'm drafting Lafreniere. And then we all agree to it. And then that's it. Uh, but this is part of the process, right? I've been dealing with, with these types of theories and these rumors and scenarios really ever since I started doing this. And it, I understand why fans are interested in it. There are message boards and websites dedicated for these types of uh, discussions. Oh, God, stay off of those. <laughs> so, so it makes sense. And I even tweeted out last night that it's, it's legitimate to entertain the idea that Byfield might overtake Lafreniere. It's, it's legitimate to entertain the idea that a three to five gets traded for a one. Um, but again, the Rangers have to look at it at a very simple standpoint, from a very simple standpoint. They've never been in this position before. They've never been able to give their fans, their loyal fans who have been paying up the yin-yang to go to those freaking games and buy the jerseys and all that stuff. We've waited for this. You can't mess with fate. You can't. When Neil Smith made his moves in 99 and he grabbed Pavel Brendel and Jamie Lundmark, he traded away some pretty good players uh, to get them. Uh, I think Mark Savard might have been one of them. Uh, well, I think that same year where he dra- drafted Halavich or Halavich was in the trade. Anyway, the point being in that you messed around, you drafted those two guys, they sold us the whole, we got the future of the Rangers here, number four, number nine picks, Lumwalk and Brendel, and, and unfortunately it didn't work out. And of course, 99 draft was a terrible group in retrospect, but right. the point stands that you get, you, get, you were gifted this opportunity. You just, you don't mess with fate. You don't mess with fate. The Rangers have done their due diligence. They've scouted this kid. They've created their draft board already. They know the pros and cons. I can't see one scenario where a scout or a front office executive on the Rangers is like, you know what? We might be better off trading down and getting extra picks or getting byfield. And the reason being is the Rangers are in a good spot. They have one of the top three farm systems in the league. They've graduated these, like you said, Adam Fox and Ryan Lindgren and Capo Caco. Now they got Kravtsov. Like you, you've gotten all these assets. They don't need more picks. And the problem with, uh, I'll give you another example. The reason why it's an issue if you add another elite blue chipper in a 3-5 for one trade is someone's going to get blocked. Someone's going to get blocked. So if they draft, let's say, Marco Rossi and Jake Sanderson, well, that means that Sanderson is going to have to outperform Robertson and Lindgren and Fox and Hayek. So eventually a lot of these kids get discouraged. They get sent down to the minors. They never become what they can because it's, it's a blockage. On the flip side of that, people might say, well, it creates competition. And I'm all for competition. If they have a competition between 
Capo Caco, Vitaly Kravtsov, and Alexis Lafreniere, and the casualty of Caco and Lafreniere being 80-point guys is Kravtsov being a bust and going to Russia. I'll sign up for that any day of the week. Or, you know, Lafreniere being a bust and Caco and uh, uh, Kravtsov being 80-point guys. So you just there's so many scenarios, but the bottom line is this. You got the first overall pick. You take the best player available. You take the best player who's uh, able to impact shifts on and off the puck. The kid who's the most physically mature and ready to play in the NHL, and without a doubt, that's Alexis Lafreniere. End the story. Okay, so let's talk about um, you're the Rangers. You you control it. I don't care if you're take you you hold all three hats. You're the president. You're the GM. You're the coach. Where do you slot Lafreniere next season? Uh, I definitely do not put him on the top line. Uh, there's going to be an adjustment period, and uh, and we went through this with Hughes and Kako already. Uh, the fact that half the Rangers fan base they, they they absolutely despise Brett Howden, and in reality, he's just a second year guy, uh, not giving him a chance to really develop. Uh, you know, for whatever reason, uh, it shows that the level of impatience in this day and age is in, uh, uh, incredibly low. Uh, people are uh, well, the level of patience is low. Uh, so I think that we always have fun fantasy football. You put these guys together. Yeah. He's going to be on the top line, have 80 points. I think we learned our lesson from Capo Capo. I personally thought that he would be a 25 to 30 goal guy in his rookie season. And the metrics say that he was one of the worst forwards in the NHL. Uh, and now of course he's, he's a kid, he's developing. So you got to give him a chance. Mm-hmm. Uh, so to answer your question, I don't slot him in on the top line. I give him an opportunity to compete against the likes of Kravtsov and Kako. Uh, but realistically speaking, I think uh, a third line role with occasional power play time, give him a taste. He's going to practice with Panarin. He's going to practice with Zibanejad. He's going to practice with the puck movers, D'Angelo and Fox. Let him learn the system. Let him learn about David Quinn. That's the other thing. You don't know what kind of coaches he's had in Ramuski and in with Hockey Canada. And you don't know how they've treated him. What's he used to? So when he goes to the ranges, he's going to be have to, he's going to have to learn the playbook. He's going to have to learn the systems. He's going to have to learn the personalities of each individual player. He's going to have to learn uh, how they like the puck delivered to them. There's a lot of variables where a kid just can't show up with Crosby. Okay. Different story. The pens were garbage. It was 2006. They were like, they had Eddie old Chuck on that team for Christ's sake. You know what I mean? So, uh, and he was allowed to do whatever he wanted. It's not the case with the Rangers. They are deep in terms of the forward ranks where they don't need to put him on the top line. So overall, I see him as a bottom six guy. uh, And, you know, he'll be afforded every opportunity to shine if he busts his ass in practice. You know, people ask about Howden. Why does Howden uh, get uh, favoritism over Leah Sanderson? Well, the bottom line was that Brett Howden practiced better and he executed the plays better and he was able to, uh, uh, you know, give uh, off a better impression. So I think with Lafreniere, it won't take a long time, though. He's going to become uh, – now you have to worry about a guy like Quinn, you know, he's the coach and it's his rule. And you don't want to treat Lafreniere differently than the other players because that could cause division in the locker room. So, we'll, again, just be patient with him. He's not going to be a top-line guy at least to, to start with, he'll probably be a depth player to begin with. You know, Joe Thornton, his first year with the Bruins, had like eight points. He played 60s game that had like two goals. Uh, Steve Stamkos was another one. I don't think he was all that hot uh, his his rookie year. So 
you got to give it time. I hear you, man. Personally, myself, uh, my my desire would be to see him on the left wing with Zabanajad, right off the hop. Put him on there and see what the kid can do. And and just because just looking at his game, I think it would complement a player like Zabanajad, who is who's more of a goal scorer than he is a passer. The more yeah. I've seen his shot is lethal and he does look to shoot first. Uh, and Buchnevich is developing a little bit of a North South game, which I think Quinn has been trying to do, which is would be helpful to dig pucks out of the boards. And it sounds like Lafreniere has no hesitation to go in the corners and do the dirty work. Oh, no, no, none. And I think that it might be, it, it might be great to have him try at least on the top line. I, I like Kreider. I'm a fan of Kreider. I, I I really do, but I really did not agree with the contract. I really thought maybe they should move on from him just because of his age. And Kreider can be madden, maddeningly inconsistent. And unfortunately, he was nowhere to be found in the series against Carolina for two games. Credit to Carolina, the way they play. They, they, they negated more than just him. You know, Panarin struggled with the puck as well. So I can't, I'm not going to sit here and go, well, Kreider was awful. No, they, they all weren't really very good in that series for whatever reason. Um, but I, again, I don't, I wouldn't put Connor McDavid on a third line. I wouldn't put Alex Ovechkin on a third line. I wouldn't start Sidney Crosby on a third line. Maybe I'm, I'm giving this kid too much credit to think that he's already top line talent. And that when you have a guy like that, you don't mess, you, you don't play games. You tell them you're the man and you get, you let them loose and you say, we're going to depend on you. Start learning how to be the, start learning how to be the man on this team. And I think that's been the success of guys like Crosby and success of guys like Ovechkin and Granted, yeah, the Rangers aren't a dead last team that they can just let the, let, let the guy go like they did with McDavid too, to a degree. Uh, and, and again, you're probably saying don't compare this kid to McDavid, and I can understand why you would say that possibly. Well, you can. You can. It's fair. So I, I just that's why I'm saying I'd love to see him go. Now, mind you, everything you said is reality. Everything you said is likely going to happen. He will start on a third line, although I don't know who the hell his center is. Okay, unless somehow they magically go out and do what I've been saying, and that is somehow find a way to acquire Ryan Nugent Hopkins from the Edmonton Oilers and see if he could become their second line center and drop Ryan Strom as a third line center, who I think that's what he's optimally, you know, set to be. Maybe I'm wrong. Again, do they have the money to do all these things? Because right now, Nugent Hopkins is, is good for $6 million. Will they? Will that happen at the deadline? I don't know what Nugent Hopkins is going to want to do because he's going to be a UFA coming next coming next deadline. And same thing like with Kreider. Kreider was going to be a UFA. So at the draft in 2019, could be Avalanche asked about him. There were some teams that were there were some things. There were some discussions. Rangers never got what they wanted, so they never moved them and ultimately made a decision with the way that they developed this year to keep them. That being said, that's what I would like to see happen with the kid. More likely than not, you're going to be right. But let's move on to a play we shouldn't forget. Capo Caco, who to me was a different player at the towards the end of the season to what he was doing in the playoffs, right? In the qualifying round. I do believe there was a major adjustment for that kid. He had no finished players on this team to even have any comforts of home. Rangers had to bring in a guy for him to talk to. 
Okay. He was a kid. He played a ton of hockey. I think the kid was exhausted to be perfectly honest. And I think it was reflected in his game. And he thought he was very confused at times with what the coach was asking for. That was shown in the fact that I think up until the last couple of weeks of the season, the kid was averaging less than two shots a game. That kid is not supposed to be doing less than two. That kid should be firing pucks four or five times a game. And towards the end of the season, he had, he had actually gotten that number up the last few games. He was in the three to four range several times. And in the playoffs, he was firing from everywhere. Yeah. What do you think is going to happen with Cabo, Cabo Caco next year? Well, I mean, it's, it's, it was definitely a lesson, uh, a lesson learned for everybody involved. It, was a, it gave Quinn a chance to see what he had. It gave Gordon and Davidson a chance to see uh, what he's capable of doing. Uh, again, it's, it's a development's an arc, right? And so you're waiting to see, like, you know, we all fell in love with the, the production in the Finnish League and what he did at the World Championships. And the knee-jerk reaction was to say, well, he's going to become an instant uh, scorer at the NHL level. Uh, the problem that I have with Kako uh, dating back to his draft year was his motor, right? Uh, not really a motor as much as like it's just his, 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 his uh, endurance where he, he expended so much energy in the beginning of shifts that he was out of gas at the end. His, his, one of his strengths is stick handling along the wall and cutting back in various directions and tiring out the defenseman in, in that regard. And what we saw this year was he just didn't have that jump. Why? Well, because NHL defensemen are better conditioned than Finnish defensemen. No offense to the defensemen in Finland, but it's just the, the truth that the, the ice is different. The schedule is different. And I thought that that full 82 game, well, we didn't have the 82 games, but that full NHL grueling schedule. And then the games got tighter because the Rangers were now contending for the playoffs before the, uh, the shutdown. But I agree. You, you saw little bits and pieces you saw moments. There were games where he was really good. And there were games where he was invisible. Uh, I think that he needs to become a definitely more of a confident shooter. He has to work harder to get open. But at the same time, he also needs line mates that are going to be able to facilitate, uh, you know, his shot and where he likes to set up and things like that. Uh, I like what I saw in the postseason. Again, just because you're a number two overall pick, it does not mean that you have to produce like previous number two overall picks and that is score hundred something points or 80 points or whatever. It's a different league. I mean, I, I think that they, they, they did the right thing by playing him in the NHL. He probably has to uh, get a little bit quicker. Uh, it's an adjustment period. I don't think he needs to, I don't think he's slow. It's just a matter of adapting and adjusting to his surroundings. And some kids, it takes longer than others, like anything else in life. All right. So let's wrap up uh, the show here with uh, some some actual news that came out just uh, before we got on. So the Rangers were wrapping up their season. They had their uh, Zoom conference calls, Jeff Gordon, John Davidson, and news is, you know, broke about, I don't know, a little hour or two ago that uh, they will not be going with three goaltenders. And instead of saying something like, well, we're not going with three goaltenders and we'll see what we'll do about the situation. The John Davidson said, uh, we're not going with three goaltenders and we, you know, we've already spoken to Henrik Lundqvist. I'm pretty sure that is going to mean that they're moving on. I don't know what that means. I don't know specifically what that means. Uh, I don't see a trade happening. And the reason being is that even if we eat half his salary uh, at 
$4.25 million. I don't know many contenders that are going to be able to take him on. It's possible. I'm, I got to look at everyone's salary cap situation, but being a flat cap, uh, it's only one season at that money anyway, but being a flat cap, I'm, I'm not sure a lot of teams are going to be jumping at it. Um, maybe anyone who misses out on Braden Holpe in free agency will trade for him. I don't know if that's where he's going to go. Uh, buyout, I don't, yeah, you know, I really don't want to see another buyout. I'd rather they use a buyout on Stall. I'd rather use yeah. a buyout on Brendan Smith if they if they were going to use a buyout on anybody. Um, and, you know, I've spoken to a couple of people in Sweden. There is a possibility that maybe because he won't be playing hockey for four months again and the SHL season is coming up that he might opt to retire. Rangers get full, get the money all 8.5 back. He goes play in the SHL with his brother in Fralunda, you know, has a magical season and possibly can come back when it's all said and done. You know, I'm sure that, you know, you can retire. And then uh, if you opt, hey, I want to come out of retirement. I'm sure that they, I got to look at what the CBA rules are and everything's going to change now because due to the pandemic, right? All the, all these dates are changing. So who the hell knows? But Going forward, what do you think about the career of Henrik Lundqvist, how it's coming to an end, uh, and the Rangers' future and goal? Well, it happens. I mean, you guys get old. I mean, we saw Brian Leach break down. We saw Mike Richter break down. We saw Mark Messier break down. We saw Adam Graves break down. We saw Yarmir Yager, to an extent, break down. Uh, it happens. You, you have to move on. You can't. You can lionize these guys all you want, and I understand that maybe for younger fans, it might be tougher to do that, uh, to, to, to let go. But it's a business. You have to move on. The guy's a first ballot Hall of Famer. He's going to get his number retired. We're going to have a ceremony for him. It's going to be amazing. We're going to think back to all those, those, those countless, countless games where he was the only guy that showed up, where he had Roosevelt and Marek Malik and, you know, Paul Mara as his defenseman. And, and it was just, it was hell on earth. But Lundqvist was able to save the day, and he did he did amazing things. He, he got his chance to play for the Stanley Cup. He, he took the team to multiple conference finals. They won the president. Yeah. I mean, so it is what it is. I don't – my issue with Lundqvist in this particular postseason was he led in two early goals, and both were bad goals. And that it, it's just known fact that if you give up an early goal, a goal to a team like a Carolina, that it's like a blitzkrieg. It'll roll and roll and roll. Once you pierce the front – It'll roll and roll and roll, and the other team will dictate the tempo. As far as his future, from a business standpoint, you absolutely have to move on from Lundqvist. You cannot be paying a goalie nine-plus million dollars only to have him suit up for, what, 20, 30 games a season, and then you have – he's also – he'd be blocking two other younger guys. The problem is is that he deserved that contract. He deserved the no-move clause. Everything that the Rangers did at the time was understandable and justifiable. But unfortunately, the team, the team changed, right? They got older. They got slower. They, got, uh, they had to make moves. And when you're in that situation, 99 times out of 100, and I, I always go back to Ray Bork. Ray Bork was more Boston than Henrik Lundqvist was New York. Ray Bork owned the city of Boston just as much as Larry Bird did. He was a god there. But at the end of his career, when he realized that the Bruins were rebuilding, we're talking like 96, 97, 98, um, he went to management and said, like, you got to do something. Like, I don't know what I can do. The Bruins said, well, let's stay with us. They got Joe Thornton. They rebuilt. And they had a couple more playoff appearances. And then in 99, the Bruins sucked. And Ray Bork went right to Harry Sinden and said, freaking trade me. I want a shot at a cup. It's my dream. And it was always odd to me that Lundqvist never did that. That Lundqvist never, was never, he was given the opportunity 
to waive his no move and to maybe go to a potential contender. And this was a couple of years ago. He's decided he's made his own bed. He's a ranger. If he, if his excuses, he's a ranger and a lifelong ranger, then God bless him. But the reality is that he, he chose to be in this situation. It could have been, it could have gone in a different direction and it didn't. So with Davidson on board and Gordon and everybody on board in the ranger front office, they're clearly ready to move on. They have to move on. And, and treat the guy like an idol, but at the same time, it's like with Derek Jeter. Like, you, you, you got to move on. You know, Eli Manning, you got to move on. Like, thanks for the memories. This is a business, and uh, I, I love the guy, but clearly if the Rangers want to become a premier team in the division and in that conference, they need to shed his salary, and they need to give the, the younger kids a chance. It's that simple. Yeah, no, everything you said, I, I fully agree with. Uh, Hank did have an opportunity when they did the letter if he wanted to leave and they would have accommodated a trade to anywhere he wanted to go. He opted not to. He wanted to stick around. He wanted to be, you know, for whatever reason, he wanted to finish his career here. And I commend him for that. That's awesome. I mean, that kind of loyalty you don't find in sports either. I mean, he put he put the team ahead of himself and his desires, whatever that may be. So, you know, hey, Henrik, we thank you. Uh, we know this is the this that this is the end of the road. How it's going to end is still the big question, and I think we'll find out this week. I think something is gonna is gonna leak out somehow, some way. Um, I, I do some, I don't know why, but you know, from what from what I spoke to, and it really sounds like that is a possibility. And and I don't think it was before but the truth of the matter is is the early exit and the pandemic and the fact of the matter is december is when he's looking to play hockey again i mean that's that's a while i mean you're 39 years old you just trained your ass off to hopefully be on a long playoff run and the shl season is ready to go and your brother's been like hey why don't you just come home for a little bit and you spent a lot of time in sweden during you know the coronavirus i just could totally see him being like Let's do it. And I, th- I think it's, it's, it's a, lot, a lot more likely now than it was back in, in March when this first broke out. But anyway, with that said, Steve, I thank you for joining us on this episode. I think you dropped a ton of knowledge. Uh, everyone, you can follow him at, uh, on Twitter, at The Draft Analyst. His website is as simple as at the, uh, I'm sorry, www. I'm so old. I still say www. It's terrible. Wow, yeah. The draftanalyst.com. Uh, and Steve's work has also appeared at Forever Blue Shirts. Uh, so you can find some of his work there. Sporting News. He's just one of the best of the best when it comes to prospects. Steve, thanks for joining us. Uh, anything else you want to plug before we say goodbye? No, just, uh, you know, get ready for the draft. I mean, we got two months, so we'll uh, just uh, get ready. Go to my website, draftanalyst.com. I got all types of prospect profiles. I got a YouTube channel, too. It's called Prospect Film Room, and I have, I think, like four or five videos of uh, Lafreniere highlights. Uh, He had a couple of five-point games, so if you want to get an idea of what he can do with the puck, you go over to Prospect Film Room on YouTube, and you'll get to see the videos. Awesome. All right, Steve, thank you for joining us. And goodbye, folks. Let's go, Rangers. First overall picks, first time since 1965. We deserve it. It was earned. Ping pong balls bouncing around the not Toronto. I don't care. Go, Rangers. <laughs>